Thank you uh, for being able to see them, and thank you for all the work that you all do to help our, uh, our mission folks get abroad. So uh, at this time, uh, we also need our children. If you are a child and you want to go, uh, Miss Kristen is back there ready for you. Somebody, I don't know. Someone's back there ready to take your children away. Um, so um, we have Sunshine Singers and others that are ready. By the way, did you talk about Sunshine Singers today, Miss Kristen? Did you talk about Sunshine Singers today? Did you make the... Next week is the big performance. So um, I encourage you to be here next week on Father's Day and uh, to be able to hear our Sunshine Singers. I felt like that high mom should have actually said, Hola Madre, am I right? That's what six years of Spanish will do for you right there. That's the one thing I can remember. All right. Well, brothers and sisters, we are into our third week now at a look at the look of the story of the life of Joseph. And so uh, today we're going to look at the 39th chapter of Genesis. So it's a little bit uh, of, a, of a lengthier passage, although only about 23 verses. But uh, we're going to look at the whole chapter this morning. And so I invite you to hear these words. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. And from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome and good-looking. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look with me here. My master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not consent to lie beside her or to be with her. One day, however, he went into, when he went into the house to do his work, and while no one else was in the house, she caught hold of his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called out to the members of her household and said to them, See, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Then she kept his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to insult me. 
But as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, This is the way your servant treated me, he became enraged. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He remained there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison, and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we give you praise for this day, for being able to see how ZPC is at work and our young people across over and down in Mexico. We give you praise for that. We thank you for the many different ways, Lord, way, ways, Lord, that you have been at work throughout this week. God, we thank you for the mission to which we have been called, and we pray that you would help us be a people who pursue that mission with steadfast determination clarity for your glory. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So every time that I put on the uniform, I felt it. Every time I put on those thick, durable khakis with ketchup and chocolate stains, I felt it. Every time that I put on the burnt orange and green plaid shirt that came straight from the 70s and had a stench of nasty grease, I felt it. Every time I would strap on the little half apron and put the strings around the back and tie it and then back around the front and flap down the apron, I felt it. Every time that I walked in through the back and took my little time card and put it in the clock and heard the little I felt it every time. In fact, I felt it most poignantly every time when I went onto the floor at the Shoney's where I was working and saw a college person that I knew, someone from my college, and I went up to take their order for what drink they wanted, and they looked up at me, and they would say, I thought you graduated. Why are you still here? And I would, oftentimes, I would slough it off. You know, I would come up with something. I'd say, well, you know, I, uh, uh, my friends are here for another year. I just want to hang out with them, or, or, or talk about something about trying to find myself. Or, or I'd say, well, you know, it is a lot of fun putting French uh, toast sticks in the breakfast bar. It's a great time. It really is. Every time I said that, I knew the real reason why I was still there, which is that I had absolutely nowhere else to go. You see, I had always uh, been a pretty good student. I'd always done what I was supposed to do. I always felt some real clarity, like I was going places. I knew what was going to happen. I felt really good until that 
previous spring when I received letter after letter after letter from graduate school saying, hey, thank you so much for applying. We had a lot of people applying. Guess what? You're not one of them who will be coming here next year. And every time I heard that, there were questions, a sense of bewilderment, confusion, anger, wondering what in the world is going on? Why am I still here? This is not what I had envisioned. Now, look, Joseph was asking a similar question, but to be sure, his predicament was a bit deeper than just working at Shoney's in Cleveland, Tennessee, like I was doing. But my guess is that he was having some of those same feelings. And my guess is that most of us, if not all of us, know some of those same feelings. The feelings of thinking like, this is not exactly how I had planned it. This isn't exactly what I had foreseen. Maybe it's a job that didn't quite pan out as you had hoped, and so you're someplace you'd rather not be. Maybe it's a relationship that you had really been hopeful for, but either didn't work out at all or didn't work in the way that you had hoped. Maybe it's a child that you had hoped to have and never were able to. Maybe it's just simply a vision that you thought for sure you had from God, and yet no fruit has ever come out of it. It could be a lot of different things. But the point is that most of us know those feelings, those feelings of thinking, no, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not what I had hoped for. This is not what I thought God wanted. And so in many ways, it's a part of the reason why the story of Joseph, I think, is so powerful. Because in so many ways, it meets us right where we are, or at least where we have been. And as we talked about last week, we don't know exactly what Joseph is thinking about. We don't know what he's thinking about when it comes to the vision, the dream that he had from God. We don't know for sure. Did, did Joseph still really believe that absolutely a, a God still has a plan for me? This is really going to all work out? Does Joseph really believe that God is still present with him? Or, or does Joseph still wondering? Is, has Joseph given up? Is he, does he have doubts now? Is he, is he pretty certain that that clearly the, the vision and dream he had had of people bowing to him, of him doing big things for God, must clearly have gone by the wayside. We don't know for sure because Genesis never tells us exactly what he's thinking, and yet it seems to me that as you begin to look at Joseph's life more and more and what he does and how people look at him, we get a glimpse of the fact that it seems like Joseph hasn't given up. That Joseph does still believe that the vision, the dream that God has given to him might still happen. And even though, even though it certainly doesn't look like it as he looks around at the slavery that he is confined to, that perhaps the vision, the mission, the dream of God is not yet dead. The 39th chapter that I just read begins by reminding us of the fact that Joseph is in chains, that he's a slave to Potiphar. But that said, it seems like things are going 
as far as slavery is concerned, pretty well, right? I mean, it seems like he's doing pretty well. In fact, Potiphar is very impressed with him. He keeps giving him more work. And the reason we're told he does that is because when he looks at Joseph, he can tell that the Lord is with him. And as a quick aside, I mean, it feels like that's a that's a pretty, it's a pretty good reminder to us of the witness that we can have even to those who may not agree with our God and who may not believe the same thing we do, that if we are living a life that is glorifying to God, that God can continue to work through us. And in a time of, it seems, political turmoil, in a time of challenges, in a time when it seems people are more than happy to disagree with one another and with great vehemence, that perhaps, perhaps there's a glimpse here that a part of what we should be doing is simply living out the call of God in our lives. And in so doing, people may still, even those who do not agree with us, may still be able to see that God is with us. And perhaps even with those who disagree, we may be able to be in relationship and they may even be able to be a trusting relationship for those who decide that we are going to continue to worship God and to live as God has called us to do. It seems to me that's a part of what we see going on with Joseph. But then... Genesis kind of takes us, it's almost like a whiplash, and he kind of changes this, hey, everything seems to be going a little bit better. And all of a sudden, Genesis begins to describe to us what Joseph looks like, right? We are told that Joseph is handsome and good-looking. In other words, it's not enough, right, just to say he's handsome, right? I mean, he is a looker. Right? In fact, right, he is so good looking that Potiphar's wife cannot stop looking at him. Right? And so she keeps looking at him and she keeps wanting him to lie with her, we're told. Right? I mean, thank God this was not a day for a children's sermon. Amen? And so he keeps looking, or she keeps looking at him and she keeps asking, we are told, very explicitly every day. And I love the way that Joseph responds to her. Because he doesn't say anything about her. And he doesn't say, well, you know, it's one of the Ten Commandments. And, you know, God, he doesn't want us to have a good time at all. No. What does he, what does he do? He frames it within the context of relationship. Remember, this is a relational faith that we have. And what does he say? He says, no, remember, he says, that Potiphar, your husband, you're married, let me remind you, I am in relationship with Potiphar. He trusts me. How could I do this to him? And then he goes on to say, and how could I do this to God? This isn't just a, no, you can't do it for this reason or that reason. It is a, I am in relationship and I refuse these relationships to be broken in order to do what you want to do. But of course, this doesn't seem to stop Potiphar's wife. She keeps trying until finally one day Potiphar, or excuse me, Joseph is in the house with Potiphar's wife all alone. And she tries one more time, and this time we're told he flees. 
Now, I don't have time to delve into it too deeply, but I want you to know that some think as they look at the Hebrew here that there's almost a sense of ambiguity. In other words, that Joseph fled to be sure, but that he struggled even with fleeing. It's this sort of glimpse into the reality that sometimes following God is not always simple and easy. Amen? That sometimes there are struggles and we may waffle. In fact, there are some, some great artists who have, who have depicted this scene and kind of shown that ambiguity. And I would have, I actually I thought about very seriously about showing it to you, but it's a little bit racy for a Sunday morning, so I won't show it to you. But what's interesting to see, though, again, is this kind of wrestling. And yet, he still fled. He left with his integrity. He left with his faith. But he did not leave with his coat. Because of that, for the second time in Joseph's life, this garment would be his undoing. And sure enough, she grabs the coat, she has the coat, and she begins to tell a tale. Potiphar comes home and she tells him, and I hope you noticed exactly how she worded it. It's very similar to how Potiphar's brothers, Potiphar, how jo there's too many people in this story, how Joseph's brothers, how they talked to Jacob, right? When they said, is this your son's coat, right? Because sure enough, whenever Potiphar comes home, she says, this servant who you have brought into our home, and sure enough, Potiphar, not surprisingly, is not very pleased by this. And so he throws Joseph into the king's prison. Now it should be pointed out that much worse could have happened to Joseph as a slave. He could easily have been killed, which many have thought, and I would certainly seem to agree with it, that perhaps it reveals that Potiphar was not 100% convinced that what his wife was saying was true. And so he went, though, one way or the other, he went into the king's prison. But it didn't take long, it seems, not at all, for all of a sudden, for Joseph to begin to work his way up within the prison system. Because before long, Joseph, or the chief, chief jailer keeps looking at Joseph and saying, there's something different about you. God must be with you. And sure enough, he begins to get more and more responsibility. And that's how the 39th chapter comes to a conclusion. And so the question for us this morning, the question that I've wrestled with this week, is that question of wondering, since we're never told explicitly, what is Joseph thinking? Has Joseph given up? And I think one of the ways that we see that Joseph has not given up is, is simply in the, his response to Potiphar's wife in the fact that he doesn't. Oftentimes when you feel like things are not going your way, that clearly God has forgotten you, that everyone's forgotten you, that nobody loves you, all you begin to do is you begin to think about how difficult your life is. And it is very easy to become a woe is me mentality. But clearly, right, clearly in his response to Potiphar's wife, he's pretty clear that he's not just thinking about, well, what might be a good time for me, but he's thinking, what's going to help my relationship with Potiphar? How can I not do, how can I can't do this in front of God? There's already a sense that this is about more than just me. He's moved past that. 
And in fact, what is striking, it seems to me, in terms of understanding where Joseph is and what he's thinking, is the way in which he is not easily distracted. In fact, it seems to me the fact that the, the way that we know he's not easily distracted is the fact that he refuses those temptations. How often? Every day. And I'm here to tell you that the only way that you can begin to resist temptations every single day is if you are clear about where it is that you are going. That the only way that you can make sure that you are not sidetracked day in and day out is if you have a clarity as to the mission that you are on. In this case for Joseph, the mission that God has given to him. And even though he does not know exactly how he's going to get there, he refuses to live in the moment in such a way that it derails his future. In fact, what Walter Brueggemann says is that Joseph has a sense of destiny, a destiny not to be squandered on a fling of passion. See, Joseph is convinced that he is a part of something much larger than him. And because of that, he will not give in to those daily distractions or temptations. And it leaves all of us individually and as a church with the question of whether or not is your mission strong enough to keep you from giving in to daily temptations that will distract you. Uh, we see this, research sees it in high school students all the time. The high school students who tend to do the best are those who have a clear mission as to where it is that they are going. Because if you are clear of that, then you are less likely to give in to the temporal temptations that are all around you that could easily derail you from your future. But of course, we even see it if you just lift off the, from the pages of this passage, this story, we see it even in how easily one could give in to the lust of flesh if you are not convinced of the mission of your married life. To be very clear about what it means to be married. Or even a few weeks ago when we talked about time, right? When we talked about the importance of time, what was the real question that we were asking? The real question we were asking is this. Are you so clear about what it means for you to be a follower of God? What it means for you to be a friend? What it means for you to be a parent? What it means for you to be a spouse? That you are then able to not waste time doing everything else that is always around you, that is tempting you. Even things that may very well be good and right. Right? We talked about that. If you know exactly what it means for you to be, let's just say, a father, then those times when you are at home, you are able to say, well, as great as this television show may be, I know what it means for me to be a father is to be present with my children, and so I will put away the remote control. Right? Whatever it may be for you, and it's different for each of you, but if you know your mission, if it's clear, then it helps you to know what things to swipe away. Right? And of course, it's the same thing as a church. It's one of the reasons why we are always going back to our mission statement. Do you remember what the mission statement is? I think you don't. All right, here we do. Called together by God to make disciples and release them for service in our broken world. Now, this time, I want you to say it as if you actually care. Here we go. 
called together by God to make disciples and release them for service in our broken world. It matters not to me that you guys just have that memorized. The reason why this is important is because it helps us to know what we should do and what we should not do. There are lots of wonderful things to do out there, but they can easily distract us. And so we have to know our mission so that we can know the things that we are called to do. And a people like Joseph, it seems to me, who has clarity can bypass those daily temptations. But perhaps the greatest way, it seems to me, that we can realize that Joseph had not forgiven this mission or this dream that he has been given is the fact that Joseph was working faithfully right where he was. That Joseph was working faithfully right where he was each and every day. You see, part of what makes this story hard for us is that we know how it ends. Most of us probably know, not to be a spoiler here, but that Joseph's going to end up being second in command of Egypt. And so we look at everything through that lens. Well, of course Joseph was doing what he's doing because look at what's coming his way. But guess who didn't know what was coming his way for sure? Joseph, right? And so I wonder if you have thought about this. Think about it. Picture, if you will. I'll even, I'll get I will show you. This is Joseph, okay? And you know what he's doing right now? He's scrubbing a toilet. Okay, this is the second or third day on the job for Joseph, and he's scrubbing the toilet. And guess what he's doing as he's scrubbing the toilet? Guess what he's thinking about? He's thinking about his dream. And guess what his dream did not include? Yeah, that's exactly right. And so as he's there, and guess what? He's thinking about the dream, and what were people doing to him on that dream? What were they doing? They were bowing to him. And what is Joseph bowing to? The porcelain throne, as they say. Joseph easily could have just said, could have just washed the toilet, quite frankly, like I do, right? And just kind of said, all right, that looks, that looks good enough. Let's, let's move on, right? But what does Joseph do? Um. <laughs> he is scrubbing the crud out of the toilet. And why do we know that he's scrubbing the crud out of the toilet? Because the Potiphar, when he looks at him, he can tell that something is different. Something's different about the way he works. If someone is just there and barely working, you don't say, oh, you know what? I'm going to give you a promotion. Great job. No, right? When Joseph is there and he's picking up the gifts of the animals and he's sitting there and he's doing this, what is he doing? He's bowing to the backside of an animal. And guess what was supposed to happen? People were supposed to be bowing to him. But Joseph just kept, just get that out of here. You know, he didn't take that and just say, well, that's not very big. No one will notice that. We'll just kick that aside. No, he's thrusting it this way and that. And because of that, they're noticing it. When Joseph's thrown in prison, right, he could have just sat there and just taken his cup like you see in the movies and kind of, you know, on the little jail cell, you know, and said, you know, you know what, whenever, whenever things get a little bit better, then I'm going to start working really hard. That's when I'm going to start doing something. Is that what he does? No, he begins to be faithful right in the 
moment. Why? Because he believes that God is still at work in his life. And because of that, because the dream is still alive, he's not going to wait 20 years to be faithful. He's not going to wait until everything starts going his way. He's not going to wait until all of his questions are answered about how exactly all this is going to happen. He's going to start being faithful in the toilets of life, on the backside of animals' lives, and in the jails or wherever it is that he ends up. He's going to be faithful right then and there. And the question, it seems to me, that Joseph would ask of each and every one of us is that same question. When you are stuck in a place that is not exactly how you wanted it to be, what will you do? When you are in a place where you are wondering whether or not God is still there, are you going to wait to be faithful until you can have it proven that God is being faithful to you? Or will you start being faithful right then and there? The answer to that question is the answer to whether or not you really believe that you have been called by God wherever it is that you are and in whatever situation you find yourself. All of us, some greater than others, but almost all of us are in places that we may have not envisioned. All of us at some point are in a place where we think, I can't imagine that this is actually what God had in store for me. And we all have a question then. Do we simply give in or run? Or do we start living faithfully right there? One of the great things it seems to me about this, about Joseph's life, is the fact that he was thrown in prison. Now, I realize that that doesn't seem like that would be a great thing. But one of the things it did force him, my guess is, is to spend a little bit of time, at least in the beginning, of simply being able to reflect and being able to ask, how now shall I live. How now shall I live? And it seems to me that in many ways, this time that we have right now is prison time, right? Now, for some of you, you may feel like when you have to come in here, I think younger folks oftentimes feel like this, it feels like you're going to jail, basically, right? This is an hour of my life I will never get back, right? But I think the reason why this can be jail time is because it forces us to be still for just a few moments, right? Moments that we may not take for the rest of the week. And I want to take just a couple of quick minutes. It's not going to be very long, but just a couple of minutes. And I want you to ask yourself the question of what does it mean for you to be faithful right now? Some of you, we may have stay-at-home moms or dads here, right? And, 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 and many of you have been called by God to be a stay-at-home mom and dad, and that's great. But I also know that that can be a struggle at times, that there can be a time when you think, well, I'd really like to get on with the career. I'd really like to do this or do that. And I'm kind of tired of wiping up the snot from my kid's face. I know I feel like that a fair amount, right? Now, some, there are a couple of moms or dads out there who just love it, but not all of us, right? And so the question might be for you, right? Rather than saying, well, I can't wait until finally, you know, I can, I can get on. What does it mean for you to be faithful right there? Or maybe some of you who kept hoping that you were going to get another job and it just hasn't yet come. And rather than just being angry about that, maybe you can simply ask, how can I be faithful right here and right now? Or maybe for some of you college students, right? Maybe you had had great aspirations, right? You had hoped that you were going to get into Purdue, but you only got into IU, right? All right, just a joke. I did, I flipped it at the nine o'clock. I did the other way just to make sure. I I want people to be equally angry with me, okay? 
right? So, so maybe that, and maybe you're thinking, oh, I can't believe I got to go to this other school. I don't really want to go to. Well, maybe it's an opportunity for you to say, how can I be faithful when I'm in that place? Or maybe some of you, maybe you're, you're, you're in a relationship that you didn't really want to be in, or maybe you're not in a relationship at all. Maybe you're single because you've been widowed or, or divorced or just never found anyone, and, and, and maybe you're struggling with that. And perhaps the question that you can just reflect on a little bit is, well, what does it mean for me to be faithful to where God is right now? How could I be faithful? Even if nothing ever changed, how can I be faithful to God right now? Now, that doesn't, that's not to assume that many of you aren't being faithful. Many of you are. But I just want to take a couple of minutes right now just to reflect on that. We won't take long. You won't get out too late, I promise you. But just take a couple of minutes right now to say, what might I do to be faithful right now? Last week, we asked the question, how do we live in the meanwhile of God? And today, it seems to me the question is, now what? If you're in a situation and you're not exactly sure why you're there or what it means, the question is, now what? Are you going to just focus on yourself? There may be time for that, but perhaps the time is for you to move forward from that. Are you going to give in to the distractions that come left and right? Or are you going to live with clarity and say, today, no matter what, today, not tomorrow, today, I am going to do something faithful. Whatever that may be, however small or large it may be, the now what is our response to God. So my hope and my prayer, brothers and sisters in Christ, is that others who see us, Others who realize that perhaps life isn't turned out exactly in all ways as we had hoped might be able to look at us and say, that person is living in a now what kind of way, in a way that says that God is with him or God is with her. Now what, brothers and sisters? May that be the question that you ask today and tomorrow and in the week to come.
Amen.